Hey guys, it's Abdul for the good folks over at Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. Now, Leon Tailoring is also well-known, we all know, for their tailor-made clothes, but you also know they're ready for their custom-made and ready-made clothing as well. That's right, clothes that are right there on the rack that you can buy and pick up, and they'll make the alterations included in the price. So swing on by Leon Tailoring. And of course, then you know, if they want something tailor-made specifically just for you, then they can do it. So whether it's tailor-made, whether it's ready-made, or whether it's custom-made, it is for you and you specifically. So swing on by Leon Tailoring. They'll be happy to see you and happy to take care of you. Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware in downtown Indianapolis. Well, they need lawmakers back soon. Uh, we're taking a few minutes to talk to some of the folks who have uh, things in business in front of the legislature. So join us is no, no stranger to this program, our old friend Kevin Branniger, uh, State Chamber of Commerce. Kevin, my friend, always good to talk to you. Thank you very much for being with us. Always good to speak to you, sir. You as well, Abdul. It's always a pleasure, and I appreciate the opportunity to visit with you and your listeners. Thank you. Uh, so what would you say is going to be the Chamber's uh, sort of big-ticket items when lawmakers come back January 9th? Well, I said to the media uh, last spring after the the short session, uh, when asked that question, I said, workforce, 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 Um, because uh, employers of all over the state of all types of industries are are having trouble finding um, skilled people. And there are indications that while over the past 20 years, we've we've done a great job of building uh, tremendously um, competitive business climate, tax climate, and regulatory climate. And um, the good folks at IEDC are doing a, a wonderful job of um, selling Indiana on those um, bases that we really are behind when it comes to the percentage of our adult workforce that has a post-secondary degree or credential. The uh, iLearn results and the iRead results are very alarming, and it's not all related to learning loss from the pandemic. Some is, but we weren't where we needed to be before that. And um, and so um, that's going to be our main focus, and, and we're um, encouraged by the response we're getting uh, from legislators that there is an increasing awareness among policymakers uh, that this is an area uh, of needed attention. My friend, when we talk about uh, workforce development and getting Hoosiers, those sort of those post-secondary uh, degree educations, uh, why do you why do you think Hoosiers haven't done that yet? Is it just uh, is it just sort of uh, the the nature of Indiana's relationship with higher education? What do you, what do you think is responsible for for such that for such challenges and getting Hoosiers at post secondary education? Well, I think in part it's a history of not needing to. You know, we, we're the most manufacturing intensive state in the country, and a big agricultural state. And in the past, um, one hasn't needed necessarily to have uh, post-secondary credentials in order to secure, you know, good paying, you know, middle class or better jobs. But, um, you know, technology is on the rise and we're in much more of a talent driven economy. And um, the job postings of today, if you look at those, they're overwhelmingly uh, and almost entirely uh, demanding Um, a a degree or certificate or certification or some sort of credential beyond high school. So part of the the effort and focus of the chamber is going to be um, looking at how we can uh, um, arrange the the high school curriculum so that students can earn uh, credentials even before they leave high school or, or strong credits 
uh, towards a degree or credential afterwards, and then really trying to enhance the system from you know pre-K up because we have some uh, challenges with respect to early childhood as well. Um, so we're going to be you know looking at that whole continuum, and we've got a number of proposals that we'll be bringing forth and working with legislators on. Um, I want to say uh, it was at the Chamber's uh, legislative announcement, uh, the Speaker of the House, Todd Houston, sort of uh, talked about sort of reinventing K-12 through education. And some could actually argue K-14 through because you need those couple years after high school for your credential or or certification. Uh, What do you think should be done, my friend? And Kevin Branniger of the State Chamber with us uh, on the program today. What do you think should be done with respect to K-12 through education? How should it be sort of revamped or retuned? Well, as I mentioned at the high school level, um, I think looking for opportunities for um, the students to earn credentials or at least credits towards, you know, a college degree, et cetera, uh, while they're still in high school, put a greater focus. Also, um, expand the work and learn opportunities. We now have the graduation pathways legislation that has been put in place several years ago that says with this year's senior class, um, they have to have a work and learn experience or um, something related to work and life outside of the high school as as now a graduation requirement. Um, And so we need to expand the opportunities for uh, high school students to have those exposures and those experiences outside of high school. In order to do that, we've got to get a, a significant number of additional employers who are willing um, to take on and make those work and learn opportunities available. Uh, and then, you know, at the very early stages, I mentioned uh, early childhood. Uh, we need to uh, close that gap of 20% of our third graders who um, can't pass the iRead test. Um, and we've got to look at and, and really focus in on lifting up uh, the iLearn scores because um, students statewide in grades K through 8 combined, only 30% passed uh, and were proficient in both math and English. And that, that's just unacceptable. And we're not here to point fingers or blame at anybody in particular, but we are saying, you know, we, we surely can all agree that, that those results are not acceptable and that we need to redouble our efforts and do better. My friend, on the on the issue of early childhood education, one thing I always thought was interesting is that we, on the one hand, uh, folks like you and other policy uh, sort of thought leaders sort of ex- sort of uh, push for early childhood education, but uh, but on the other hand, other hand, we have Indiana's law that says technically you don't have to start school until seven. Uh, Any going to be another push to make sort of early kindergarten mandatory? Well, we have for a long time supported um, you know lowering the the age of mandatory attendance. Um, and, and getting the kids into a education-oriented uh, environment at, at an earlier age, and, and we'll we'll continue to support that. Unfortunately, it hasn't gotten much traction um, among legislators. Although, you know, as we start to look at this whole spectrum and, and how we can um, do better, so that we end up with more um, better high school graduation rates and, and more individuals. Uh, pursuing and obtaining uh, post-secondary education, um, that then that uh, becomes an important part of it. 
Kevin Brandig of the State Chamber of Commerce with us on the program today. So to talk about the Chamber's legislative agenda uh, for 2023 and some other things. Uh, Kevin, you folks uh, put out a news release, I want to say last week. Uh, the Chamber mm-hmm. teamed up uh, with America Succeeds and Lightcast to promote a high-demand uh, for durable skills report, which uh, talked about those importance of those, those sort of soft skills that are in demand by Hoosier employers. Tell us about that a little bit, if you could. Yeah, the study, uh, the researchers looked at actual job postings in Indiana by Indiana employers, uh, thousands of them, and looked at what were the the uh, job postings saying were the job requirements, and um, overwhelmingly they contained uh, references to and requirements for durable skills, um, which are things skills that. Um, you know, interpersonal uh, communication, uh, the the traditional soft skills, but a little broader than that, um, that are skills that individuals can take with them from one job to another. So they're not, um, you know, how how to run a specific machine, uh, you know, unique to a particular company. Um, And we think that that is also an area of needed attention uh, and, and one that we can expand upon because it is becoming increasingly important in a whole variety of workplace settings. Uh, particularly, uh, somebody teaches college part-time, that whole thing about critical mm-hmm. thinking, which I, yeah. which I stress to my students all the time regardless. Yes, and um, you know, one of the, 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 the core building blocks for critical thinking um, that you hear all the time is, is Algebra 1 in high school. And, you know, learning to solve for unknowns and, and variables. Kevin Branniger, the State Chamber of Commerce, with us on the program today, talking about the Chamber's legislative agenda for 2023. Uh, Kevin, something else that popped up recently, I'd love to get your thoughts, is obviously Indiana is trying to try, always trying to get the best sort of tax and business climate that there is to compete with, with other states and also other countries. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, the elimination of the state income tax? Uh, no, Travis Holdman uh, sort of talked about that at the, at the big uh, event uh, had, that's always had downtown for us lawyers. Uh, any thoughts on uh, eliminating the state income tax? Well, there's certainly um, advantages um, and to that, and um, you know, in some ways, would make our state more attractive. The key question with regard to eliminating the individual income tax, which brings in, um, I think the number was 35% of our state's general fund revenue, big, big chunk, is what do you replace it with? And so, you know, I can't answer the question of how much or how little would we support eliminating the income tax until I see what um, what it gets replaced with and, and is that a, 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 a better, uh, less uh, onerous tax than the income tax or, or is it worse? So uh, the, the answer in, in this instance is it depends and that's why I think Senator Holdman is not proposing um, to legislation that would eliminate the tax and replace it with something yet unknown, but he is uh, proposing a a blue ribbon commission um, to look at that and and come up with some suggestions uh, using the expertise of the people that would serve on that. And I myself have served on such a blue ribbon commission that was focused on reducing the state's reliance on property taxes 
um, a number of years ago that uh, was appointed by Franco, Governor Franco Bannon. And, um, you know, if uh, Senator Holman moves forward with this, certainly we would want the business community represented as well, because much of what is paid in individual income tax is actually um, tax on business income that the owners and shareholders pay through their individual income tax return. Kevin Reniger with us. Uh, Kevin, it's also interesting, too. Uh, like I said, uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the income tax. We said Senator Holman's putting together a panel uh, sort of discussion, which also leads us into uh, property taxes. Any worries or concerns uh, in the business community that uh, the next set of property tax bills are going are to come out are just going to be almost sort of like what we had to deal with back in 2007? Well, the indications so far are that it will not be that bad and that the, the – um, the increases will, will not be that high, uh, but certainly um, property values on particularly residential property values have been increasing significantly. Uh, we think that the increase in interest rates that the Federal Reserve has imposed has um, cooled and sort of cur- curbed um, a lot of that, that increase, and the, the housing market is not as hot. Uh, as it was, say, a year or two ago. Um, but there still certainly is some upward pressure, and we, we know we've got shortages, particularly in you know what we, we collectively define as affordable housing. Uh, my friend, I uh, want to change gears a little bit, uh, talk about uh, sort of energy policy here in Indiana. Sort of the, uh, what is the chamber asking for? Uh, what are they hoping lawmakers to do? Are you guys taking an all, all the above approach or more fossil fuels or shifting away from fossil fuels going toward more wind and solar? What's the chamber's... Uh, Hope one energy policy. Well, one, we would like the state to adopt an energy plan first and foremost. We haven't had one since 2006, and and that's that's one of our priorities. Is you know let let's let's get a plan that we can hopefully all get behind and, and know where the state is headed. We don't have that right now, um, and so we've gone wanting for that. But um, we produced a, a study an energy study um, just before the pandemic, uh, was, was, and we released it in late 2018, and it called for sort of that all-approach um, all that you talked about, um, focusing on striking a balance between a, a thoughtful and orderly transition towards renewables, um, not unlike what, unlike what we've seen rather at the federal level, where we believe the Biden administration has tried to go too far too fast, and that's what's um, strongly increased gas prices and natural gas prices and and and, and fuel oil and all that. But uh, we want first and foremost we want reliability. Um, we, we want an orderly transition uh, to renewables. Um, and we want that to uh, part of that that orderly component is so that um, the prices don't go up too fast uh, because we're we're transitioning uh, our fuel sources and the costs associated with that too rapidly. Um, so those are sort of that the three-legged stool of 
uh, of an energy policy that we'd like to see uh, the state put forth. Uh, my friend, we got a few minutes left here. Uh, I want to talk about health care, uh, health care policy. The governor's uh, health care commission uh, mm-hmm. put out its recommendations. Uh, there was some question about the, the about the price tag, and also sort of leads to my second question of Indiana's sort of financial situation, which is still strong, although it's got uh, a couple couple uh, sort of potholes along along the way. A, your thoughts on health care, and B, the state's uh, financial situation this budget year. Well, we expect um, that there will be significant legislation introduced, um, and we are hopeful. Uh, you know, we have members in all all three camps: the the purchasers, the insurers, and and the providers. And we hope that they can come together with uh, key legislators in the healthcare area to come up with um, not solutions necessarily, because this is a very complex um, system. But um, you know some measures that will uh, begin to bend the curve and reduce uh, health care prices in our state. Uh, and there's a number of ways that we think that can be done. Um, and on the Public Health Commission, you know I've read the report. I've talked to Dr. Box, um, to Dr. Monroe, former Senator Kinley. Um, clearly, we were not ready for a pandemic with our public health system, and uh, there needs to be some investments. There needs to be standards that should apply across all local health departments, um, but we don't profess to know exactly what the funding number should be, um, but uh, we're happy to participate in those discussions and, and listen carefully and work with the uh, the legislators and, and the advocates on um, what that final number should uh, your thoughts on uh, the revenue forecast and uh, what the state uh, state budget is going to look like next year? Well, I, I think overall the the revenue forecast is is positive, maybe not as positive. Obviously, the the, the economists, the economic uh, forecasters group side of that uh, process are expecting a a, a dip in the economy, a, a, a mild recession as they're terming it, um, which translates into a, a, a dip in, in revenue collections and, and sort of adjust the base upon which we build in the two full fiscal years that the forecast covers, which are fiscal years 24 and 25. All right. And, and there will be uh, plenty of folks. I, I think there's more anticipation of of revenue availability than there will be uh, available revenue. And so there will be a lot of hogs at the trough. <laughs> Um, trying to get um, a piece and additional funding. And it will be important for the fiscal leaders on the Ways and Means Committee appropriations to um, to sort that out and establish, you know, what are the priorities for the state going forward. Uh, the state also has a challenge of uh, in being hit by inflation on its capital budget from the prior biennium. Uh, I've, I've heard a number as much as $100 million dollars of uh, cost overruns and estimates on capital projects that were already approved in the prior budget. And so they have to decide, you know, are they going to up the funding for all of those or do some of them uh, get pr- reprioritized out of the budget and, and fall by the wayside? Um, so th- that's a, a large puzzle piece that they'll have to sort through as well. All right. Well, our guest on the program today has been our good friend, Kevin Brandinger, the State Chamber of Commerce. Kevin, my friend, always good to talk to you. Thank you very much for being with us. Uh, Looking forward to seeing you uh, at the State House and all parts in between. Uh, It's always my pleasure, Abdul, and um, we'll look forward to visiting some more throughout the session. 
This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.